Welcome everyone to another edition of When Movies Were Good down here in Melbourne, Australia with Matt and my Rachel, I meant to say, not Matt, with my special guest star and my longtime friend, Matt. <laughs> yep, you got that right in one. <laughs> uh, so I'm Rachel and Matt's Matt, just to clarify. Sorry, it's been a, I think it's been a long week for everyone. It's getting towards Christmas. It's that time of year. Yeah, it is. What we call silly seasonal. There's probably some other words that a lot of people would put in front of it. So how are you doing tonight? Matt, now that I've cleared that up. Yeah, right. yeah, good. I've been uh, Christmas baking this weekend, so I feel like I've worn an extra tire upon the tire. <laughs> I know, it's a bit like that. You really have to be very careful of what you eat this time of year, but then that takes all the fun out of Christmas, I think, for most people. So, uh, well, we've got a few weeks of it and then back on to our proverbial diets, as, it, <laughs> as everyone is. So um, tonight, Matt and I... And as you know, when movies are good, is not so much a review show. It's two friends having a, a discussion about when movies were good, the classic era of movies. So we're talking about silent movies right up until 1959. And we're doing a Ronald Reagan special just in light of all of the political shenanigans going on in the US right now. We decided to do a Ronald Reagan uh, double. So of course Ronald Reagan was the president of the US, but he was also quite a famous classic film actor. Were you familiar with much of his work, Matt? Or I hadn't really seen much of it. He hadn't um, become as big a star as the likes of William Holden and those other figures at the time, although he was becoming, I think, uh, uh, quite a, sig a significant uh, uh, middle grade actor in a, a lot of those uh, homely American films. Yeah. And uh, Yes, I understand why it would have been shocking at the time for a, a fairly prominent uh, actor to be uh, suddenly running for office. But when you see a lot of the films he was in uh, where there was sort of a wholesome Americano, you think it's pro it probably wasn't that hard a pill to swallow. No, he was definitely that sort of Midwestern and very good-looking, charismatic person. So just a little bit of facts on, on Ronald Wilson Reagan, a.k.a. he was also known as Dutch, which was a childhood nickname, and also The Gipper from one of his most fav famous films where he uttered the famous line, go and win one for The Gipper. So, um, but he was quite a famous actor. So when he did make the transition to politics in the 1960s and 70s, first um, becoming the governor of California and then going on to the presidency. And he'd had other political roles before then. But um, it, it probably was a shock to a lot of people, but not so much to him because I think, you know, being an actor sort of prepares you for one of the greatest stages of all, and that is politics because most of it's acting. So, And he would have been among that uh, generation, first generation of politi politicians who really spent a lot of time in front of the camera. Yes, that's true. And also he was a spokesman for General Electric and apparently his, a lot of his political underpinnings and sort of the things that formed his worldview, because he started off as a Democrat, then he went over to the Republican side, was all the travelling he did as a spokesman for General Electric when he was working for them. Yeah, it's interesting learning how different politicians uh, sort of grind their early boots. Uh, Churchill, I believe, uh, unlike a lot of people of his class, um, spent a lot of time in rather um, uh, gritty uh, union um, uh, debates. Uh, so he had knew how to talk rough when he had to. 
Yeah, so I think that's the same with Ronald Reagan because he went out and actually spent a lot of time with the people and speaking to them. And I guess being an actor is one thing and being separated by that sort of fourth wall, but going out into society was probably one of the best things he ever did. So just going through very, very briefly just some of the things because he's the thing that links these two films together because he is a supporting role in both of the films. He did. Cons he was considered more of a B film actor, so even in some of the better films that he did, he was sort of the more supporting role. Uh, so it was George Gipp in Newt Rockney All-American. That's where Win One for the Gipper comes from because he played the Gipper, I think it was. I haven't actually seen that one, but I'm curious to see that film. But he said that his favourite um, acting role was one that he did in 1942's King's Row where he plays a double amputee who recites the line, Where's the rest of me? And then he called one of his autobiographies that Where's the rest of me? So he actually had a few good roles in some of these films. Um, his last film was uh, The Killers in 1964 and then he went on to do some TV and then he did officially retire and then start going into, into politics. So he, I have always thought he is one of the people that has led one of the most interesting lives because, and I guess the other thing I respect about him as well is if, you know, no offence, but there's a lot of, you know, to people out there that like modern actors, I'm not so much into them, but they spout off all this political stuff, but none of them actually have the guts to actually back it up and get out of acting and go in and do it. So one thing you have to say about him is that, you know, he actually did retire from acting and actually went out and ran and did it. Yeah, it was um, quite a shock because I'm certain it would uh, to the system because I'm certain that he'd have well known that uh, it wasn't... Um, a common course uh, he was going down, mm. like uh, even um, simply going against uh, his own uh, first wife in terms of um, the path of the future um, he wanted to go down. Yeah, because wasn't she, she was a Republican and he was a Democrat apparently. <laughs> Oh, not even party, not even party politics. Yeah. It, she straight out didn't want to be a politician's wife, as oh, far as I know. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, and it is a, a hard choice to live with because when you're suddenly having to, like my personal philosophy is, unless you're a card-carrying uh, active member of a political party, a couple who are otherwise functional don't necessarily need to talk about politics. Yeah. But it becomes different when uh, you're a professional in it. Yeah, that's that's very true. Um, it's, yeah, so I think obviously, so his second wife, Nancy, who was Nancy Davis, she must have been very on board with it because she essentially kind of gave up her career as well and then she did become the politician's wife, whereas Jane Wyman continued to act, well, up until 1990, until Falcon Crest finished, so... Well, even yeah. if you're not surrendering your own career, it's a big responsibility to be, uh... Uh, the supportive voice to a person in office. Yeah, that's true. And of course, you, it's a, a rather heavy, greasy poll. You don't necessarily know there's going to be a big job at the end. Yeah, that, that's that's very true. So we'll go into one of, um, not his earliest film, but one of his earlier films, and he was um, working with quite a, a good cast in this film. So it's Santa Fe Trail made in 1940. So directed by Michael Curtis, who is well known for directing... Casablanca and many other great films. Don't get me started. And actually, one of the films we're doing next time he did as well. I just realised then. So we had um, the great Errol Flynn, one of our compatriots. 
We had Olivia de Havilland, of course, who's one of our favourites, Raymond Massey and Ronald Reagan, and Alan Howell Sr., and I'm pretty sure I'm familiar with his son, Alan Howell Jr., who was in Gilligan's Island playing the skipper. I'm pretty... I saw the face and I thought, hang on, that's not the same Alan Howell. I think that obviously they're related. So Hollywood's a small yeah. family. <laughs> so written by Robert Buckner. It's a sort of like... Um, it is a historical film with a lot of artistic license from what I was reading. It's about the, it's um, set in the civil, just pre-Civil War era. It's about ab the abolitionist John Brown and his campaign against slavery to the American Civil War. And there's a subplot with, um, in this film, Ron Reagan's actually playing Custer, um, who was very famous, uh, became very famous not only in the Civil War but afterwards and J.E.B. Stewart, and it's sort of like a romantic subplot where they're, they're competing for the hand of Kit Holliday, who's played by Olivia de Havilland. So what were your thoughts on this film? Well, for one thing, like you said, it has an excellent cast, and even if Ronald Reagan uh, didn't become a superstar in his own, the fact that he was uh, playing right up next to Errol Flynn and Olivia de Havilland does say something about some of the stature he reached. Yeah. And I think it's an excellent Western in terms of many of the action scenes. I did find uh, some of the delving into politics borderline... I did find it to be sort of borderline offensive, the way they were put... Because, personally, I'm going to be controversial. I think Gone with the Wind actually did a pretty good job of balancing out the perspectives. I do not think this movie does. No. Uh, the way it um, shows the... Well, it, it does kind of make it an obviously valid thing that for many people the idea of emancipation wasn't the ideological uh, uh, mission they were following. They weren't necessarily uh, that excited about the practical steps of integrating uh, all the elements of American society into the, the same land after the war afterwards. Hmm. And you have those rather unpleasant things said by... Um, supposedly ex-slaves uh, about missing the old country. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I suppose it's it's everything's in its context. I suppose back then perhaps the film was coming from a certain viewpoint that was more acceptable then. It can be a bit jarring to watch certain um, films now and their dialogue. I kind of just tend to let it wash over me because I think these films were a product of their time and also, I guess they're playing the opposing side to the abolitionist in this film. So I suppose there sort of had to be a certain amount of confronting dialogue because the country really was divided at that point. So oh, it, it isn't... Um, I have no issue with um, an, evil an evil character or an evil or wrong side of a story saying the wrong things as mm -hmm. pertain to their role, but it's when it's the sort of... Uh, when when the they're trying to justify um, going back to the old ways. Yeah, that's true. I think it was just. I mean, as much as we think that things are divided now, not just the U.S. but all countries mm. around the world. I suppose it's got nothing on what life was like back then. Yeah. Because it of, really, of course, the yeah. uh, of course the overall message of the film is a noble one, but it's. Uh, I think even by the standards of the time, it was clunky in how it was delivered. Yeah, I think there's a lot of... Um, uh, and also, it, it, the film, from what I was reading, is not 
historically, historically accurate. So a lot of these people no. sort of placed into this story, like Custer wouldn't have known these people and um, Jefferson Davis wasn't the head of the, the military academy at that time or he was for one group of people but not for the others. So, I mean, it just must have been such a, an amazing time to live in history and very confronting too. I mean, if you were you know, a slave, if you weren't, if you, you know, a new immigrant there. I mean, it was really the Wild West in a lot of senses. And as, you know, they say in the film, I mean, they weren't a world power at that stage. They were considered a developing country. They weren't to the status of the European, you know, countries. So Exactly. And like, of course, in retrospect, the, uh, the ideals and construction projects of America and Washington and stuff have a lot more glory because of the financial authority that America has had for the last hundred years, but it was much more ideological um, back then. Yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed the film because I felt the film moved along from one thing to the next thing, uh, whether it was historically accurate or not, that's fine. Sometimes it's fine just to watch things for the enjoyment of it and then if it piques your interest then you can go off and maybe find something a bit more representative of it to watch whether that be a documentary or something else well i think um part of why science fiction has succeeded on an epic set scale so much in the last 20 to 30 years is that it fills a lot of the uh, the excitement and the conflict uh, type um, scenarios brought about in westerns, but in a time when people know they had to be much more sensitive about historical detail in science fiction, they can be a lot. They could create a lot more fantasy and get and get away with um, uh, uh, and get away with it as opposed to back in western early westerns, which this film effectively is. Mm, yeah. Um, uh, uh, creating a rather fictitious uh, historical reenactment, which is really just providing transitions between big battle scenes. Yeah, yeah. I this... think the big battle scenes were done pretty well. I mean, and the subplot was okay, sort of. What did you think of Olivia de Havilland in this film? I like I like her, her presence, as I do in all her, her films, mm. although I think in this particular one, the romance conflict, it was uh, a, a bit too separated out from... Uh, the the main storyline. It's almost a similar problem they had in Raise the Titanic, uh, <laughs> another film we uh, both have interest, uh, interesting yeah. thoughts on. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so when uh, the scriptwriter uh, feels uh, obliged to add in this extra romance plot, uh, which yeah. uh, just gets it more confusing. <laughs> Um, yeah, and I could, you know, as, as much as I love Errol Flynn, he did, I could pick up his Aussie accent a little bit. Could you hear his accent a bit in this or? Well, I wasn't really um, on the ear out for it yeah. and maybe that was just the audio quality on the version I was hearing, yeah. but, um, even then the Australian accent in those days was a lot more Anglo-ish than it is now. Sounding. Yeah, he definitely, I mean, he didn't sound Aussie Aussie like you and I do, but he, yeah, I was listening there and I thought, gee, I didn't think that person grew up in Australia. <laughs> so, I mean, you forget that. I mean, I guess a lot of his roles were sort of historical roles and that sort of generic sort of Anglo-ish sort of accent that he had for a lot of his films worked quite well. But in this one, he is playing an American. So uh, I just, I did actually, but I, I'm, if I know someone is Australian or originally from here, I'm always sort of half listening to hear whether that I can pick up their accent even if um, even if they're doing an American accent. Like I always listen for Nicole Kidman. I always listen for, you know, whoever it, it may be. And sometimes, especially in their early films, you can, you can hear it. Yeah. In Sean Connery's case, you never had to listen too hard. <laughs> 
that's true enough. Um, I look. I I mean, I enjoyed the Santa Fe Trail. I enjoyed. I mean, Ronald Reagan was a supporting role, but he was. You know, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot better films about Custer that you can watch, and obviously his battles with the um, the indigenous people of of the U.S. But uh, it was kind of. It, it, there was a lot of really big, interesting characters in this film, but it was sort of a film that was a bit more of an action film as well. So they weren't really going to be fleshed out as well as you could in some sort of period drama, whether they wanted to do that back then. Yeah. It's much in a similar way to what Robin Hood was. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've got to say Robin Hood, I definitely think they managed to um, uh, put those elements together much more successfully. Uh, Who knows? Um, uh, it's a very delicate balance to get the the sort of the plots of um, the requisite romance and of the time uh, with the action scenes. But you can easily tell though why Santa Fe Trail was. I believe it was the highest grossing film of that year. Yes. Yeah. No. It was. It was. It definitely. It would entertain the masses for sure. So that film was made. Ronald Reagan made that film in 1940, and he made it in a great company. One of the greatest directors of all time, and some of the greatest actors of all time. He was in fantastic company in that film, and he held himself in in good regard in that film as well. So if we jump ten years later, so Ronald's been making films all through the all through the 40s, and now we're into 1950. So he's playing you know, the more, I wouldn't say middle-aged, but I guess he was in his 40s in this film. His character certainly was anyway because he was the father of a teenage daughter and a younger son. So we're now going to jump to 1950s Louisa. And I have to say, I really enjoyed this film. This, Me this, too. This sort of film's really up my alley in terms of that slapstick comedy, lots of fun. I thought, uh, let me just go into it now. I absolutely thought Spring Byington was fantastic. I'm not really familiar with a lot of her work. I, I have to say, I think I heard the name once or something like that. But I thought she was fantastic in her. So Ronald was sort of like the one of the supporting um, actors in this film. I mean, still one of the main parts. But Charles Coburn and Edmund Gwen, who played Henry and Abel, I thought they were utterly fantastic. There was a young Piper Laurie, because I know her from some of her work in the 70s and 80s, in this film playing the, the daughter. I was like, oh my God, that is Piper Laurie. So I had a great time watching this film. So Matt, just really quickly, I just run over for the audience what this film's about. It might pique their interest a little bit. So it does sort of start off with Ronald Reagan's character. He plays a character called Harold or Hal, and he's a successful architect. So at the time, they've got their elder. He's got his elder. Although 65 now is not considered elderly, but back then I guess it was. And now it's sort of like, yeah, you're an older person, but if you're in good health, you're still going strong. You could be still working full time. You could be still... Yeah, but back then that was considered old, you know. Like <laughs> Michelangelo called himself old at forty-two. Yeah. Oh, did he? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he urges his elderly widowed mother Louisa, so that's Spring Byington, to find something to do besides tormenting his wife, played by Ruth Hussey, his son, uh, who's played by Jimmy Hunt, and teen daughter, played by the fantastic Piper Laurie. But soon the Norton household is turned upside down. When Louisa starts double dating the grocer, so the English grocer played by Edmund Gwen, and then uh, Hal's boss gets into the mix, Abel, who I thought was hilarious, and then he becomes smitten with Louisa as well. And basically, there's a lot of slapstick, a lot of fun, and eventually, after lots of shenanigans and hiccups uh, and the family 
fighting and carrying on and all this other stuff, then she finally makes a choice and all's well that ends well. In a way, it's almost every episode of Bewitched. Yeah, basically. It, this minus is, the magic. This is really <laughs> uh, reminded me of one of the sort of 50s sitcoms. It was just like a longer, a longer version of one of the 50s sitcoms. Do you know what really said it's time for me, though? What? That when Reagan gives his son a chemistry set, it's yeah. the radioactive detection version. Because <laughs> only in the 50s would they be teaching kids to um, detect uh, radiation. Yeah. Uh, that... disc disclaimer, I believe it was very, very minute doses, like less than, like, <laughs> less than microwave. Um... Oh my gosh! It was it was actually nominated for one Academy Award for Best Sound. So, and I think Spring Byington was nominated for a Golden Globe. So it was a very well it was from Universal. It was a very well received uh, picture. So, I uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I can't say much more about this other than I really enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty well paced. I thought Ronald Reagan was very good. He was a good choice in the role. But the three leads. Louisa and the two boys made the film. Yeah, it's um, a lot is always said naturally about uh, the hierarchy of gender in a film of the time, but you also realise in roles like Reagan's, it could also be quite restrictive on the other way because he sort of could only play that very uh, stern screwball father. That's right, yeah. He was the definitely the straight guy. He was like um, Darren in Bewitched, if we're going down that... <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, and um, but I thought that... Or uh, your, or your favourite oh, dude, Larry Hagman. I was actually, as, as Matt got here, I was watching this great video that was shot at the White House in 1987 when Larry Hagman went to visit Nancy Reagan. Unfortunately, I'm sure he would have talked to Ronnie while he was there. But from my understanding, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, if anyone out there knows, but I believe that um, Mary Martin, Larry Hagman's mother, and she did spend a bit of time in Hollywood. She was predominantly a stage actress, you know, working on the West End and on Broadway. But she did spend some time in Hollywood, and I believe that's where she met Nancy Davis, and she probably met Ronald Reagan there as well when he was with Jane Wyman. So, Well, um, when you write your um, eventual biography of Larry Hagman... Uh... I'll have to confirm the details. I think I will, but it was just, oh, it was such a great, um, great moment in time because I grew up with Ronald Reagan, so I'm a bit older than Matt. And when I was a that my earliest memories of any president was Ronald Reagan. So I was a really little girl when he was inaugurated. And then by the time he uh, finished his term in 1988, I was actually in my first year of high school. So... I didn't know anybody else but him for most of my childhood as being the president of the US. And I once, back in the day when I ran for parliament, I was giving some speech and I started going off on this Ronald Reagan tangent. And everyone's like, what does that have to do with anything happening here in Melbourne? And will my bins get taken out next week? Because they haven't been. I don't know. I just wanted a chance to mention him. <laughs> Um, yeah, so he, he definitely, because he's, you know, when I think of Ronald Reagan, it's not so much the Reagan that we're seeing in these two fun films that we were, well, I wouldn't say Santa Fe Trail was fun, but it was entertaining, um, these films that we, we watch, but I always see him as the older version that I knew when he was the president, because that's just where my memory goes to straight away, and I obviously have such fond memories of the 80s, because I was a little kid growing up in the 80s, and it was... 
yeah, I don't know. I just think I compare it to how kids are growing up now and I just prefer it back then. But I think most people as they get older probably think that, so. Yeah, well, I, certainly it was kind of that last year when politicians were professionals, I think. Yeah, definitely. And it's like, uh, or I think at least there was a bit more respect between, because he wasn't particularly, when he came into politics, he was kind of considered a cowboy and considered, oh, this guy's going to blow the world up and all this sort of stuff. And they didn't like his economic plan. And I remember all that. And he actually, when he did, he got, he was extremely popular for a period there and then towards the end like 1988 or so there was other scandals engulfing his administration and stuff so he sort of had the highs and lows of politics probably as the governor of California and then as the president and at that time before um, Donald Trump came along he was the oldest president that was inaugurated because he was 69 and Trump was 70 Mm. but as I said he always seemed a lot older than what Trump does I suppose could be Trump's hair or something although Ronald Reagan I think coloured his hair but um, yeah. <laughs> what about the skin color? <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of politicians um, do actually wear fake tan um, on their face. And a lot of them, like, I, I was reading that President Kennedy used to wear, you know, those sun visors where they sit there with the mirrored sort of thing that comes up at your face. And a lot of them did actually wear makeup, especially the more that they started going on TV with debates and stuff. I just think, you know, maybe a certain person should... They probably miss the days of black and white uh, television. Yeah, or perhaps find a, a suitable, more suitable tone for the face or something like that. But I think most politicians, just by a matter of course, have to wear makeup. But Mind you, um, I'm uh, quite into black and white photography and uh, yes. blue um, filters actually work quite well on skin tones, so maybe they should have uh, painted yeah. their faces blue <laughs> for the black and white camera. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's really interesting, but just um, ultimately this second film I probably no I do I did enjoy it more than the Santa Fe trail I just thought it because it was so much slapstick so much humor lots of fun uh and you know uh, you know double entendres people getting the wrong idea that wrestling fight that they had at the dance off that they were going to was hilarious and I just thought it was just good old-fashioned, you know, family sort of fun, something that the whole family would have gone to on a Saturday afternoon at the pictures to go and see. So uh, I really – I'm glad we chose that little film. That was just something that Matt and I could access easily to watch. So yeah. we thought we'd pick that one and the other one. Um, there's lots of other films of his that I would have liked to have chosen, but we could find those two, so we went for them. So I'm glad we actually got a chance to see that, and I'm – I'm really keen to actually see some of some of his other films, especially the one about the amputee and stuff, and see what his sort of acting chops are like in that. And um, one of the co-stars that I'd like to um, learn more about his material, um, Edmund Gwen. I know um, mm. he did a quite a few, including uh, one or two of Hitchcock's. He uh, oh, Hitchcock okay. was a big fan of his. Oh yeah, I oh, definitely need to sort of um, explore, and also Spring Byington as well. Like I'm just looking at her; uh, she was a um, she received a nomination for an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress for her role as Penelope in You Can't Take It With You, 1938. So she was definitely a very accomplished actress. So uh, as Matt and I go through this journey more, there's just literally hundreds of films to watch with all of these great, fantastic actors in there. So as we said, it can be definitely be a lifelong hobby for sure. Mm. For sure. We've only scratched the surface of it. A vocation, definitely. So it's something to keep us going. (laughs) Anyway, 
So ultimately we had a good time watching these films and as we sort of segue on to just finishing up with you for the night, thanks for joining us again. We've decided as we're approaching Christmas and what a funny old year 2020 has been but oh well maybe maybe Christmas will bring some changes with it we we Matt suggested we definitely have to do a Christmas double and I was losing track at the time so of course I agreed to we it all were. yeah <laughs> so we're doing well one of the ultimate Christmas movies it's a wonderful life 1946 James Stewart directed by Frank Capra and then one, you know, that'll get me going because I'm going to start singing all the songs. And that's White Christmas, 1954, directed again by the great Michael Curtis and starring Bing Crosby, Rosemary Clooney, it was Vera Lynn and the great Danny Kaye. And maybe we will sit on the great debate once and for all on whether or not It's a Wonderful Life is actually a Christmas movie because... Uh, it was kind of the Breaking Bad, really, of its time in terms of how you define a Christmas film. Is it a bit like it was... It's like, don't they often ask if uh, Die Hard is considered one of the... Oh, so that, that's what I meant, sorry. Not Breaking Bad, Die Hard. Yeah, it's a, a bit long before Die Hard was yeah. the figure of debate. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life was a different one in terms of how you define a Christmas movie. Yeah. So we may have settled that conflict once and for all. Okay, yeah, it'd be nice to sort of have some parallels between them. I'm looking forward to, you know, It's a Wonderful Life. I've been meaning to sit down. I've watched bits and pieces and I've seen the end scene many times but I've needed to sit down and of course I've seen bits and pieces of White Christmas but have never sat down and watched the whole thing from start to finish so I look forward to doing that so uh, now just another segue about my computer it's still being fixed so my grand plans of starting up a, another website that um, we can share a lot of information on externally from Facebook and stuff still hasn't become a reality but uh, hopefully Third time lucky with the warranty repair, and maybe they'll give me another computer. <laughs> Third time's a charm. <laughs> so we shall see. Another day, uh, another day down at the uh, uh, store where I bought it from, and we'll see what they say next time. So any anyway, but um, Matt, if you wanted to just run everyone just quickly through uh, social media, which we will develop more, we just haven't had the opportunity to yet. Yes, well, uh, if you're coming in from another planet, you may not have heard of these <laughs> things called social media channels, including Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Basically, they are different birds and other colourful logos incorporated into uh, online platforms for exchanging information. And like many other organisations and creative endeavours, we take advantage of their presence. So you can look at for our appropriate handles at when movies were good, good on all those stations. And thank you so much for that, Matt. You're and welcome. so until we see and hear of you guys next time, I'm Rachel. I'm Matthew. And we're watching good movies. Thank you and good night.